We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Cooley's going to be on the show today. He'll help uh, preview the Houston game, and we'll talk about other things as well. That's coming up in the second segment of the show. Neil in Rockville, one of our two legal contributors, is going to jump on here momentarily to discuss the latest lawsuit from Carl Racine, the D.C. Attorney General. This one, to me at least, is more consumer protection intuitive, uh, even though it doesn't seem to me anyway like it's going to burn the house down out in Ashburn. But we'll get Neil and Rockville's thoughts, brief thoughts on that coming up here shortly. I want to thank all of you who have rated and reviewed the show in a lot of different places, specifically uh, those of you who listen on your iPhone through Apple Podcasts. It's a big help for us, especially coming down the stretch here at the end of the year. We're trying to line up our advertisers for 2023. Um, and what's great about this podcast is we have the numbers. That's never been the issue. Uh, they look for you know the number of people that are listening and they need a sizable audience and we have that. But what's just as important is the loyalty to the show and how much people like the show. And that's reflected in these ratings and reviews and that really helps us a lot. So if you haven't rated or reviewed the show uh, and you want to pause uh, and take 30 seconds to give us five stars and a quick one to two sentence review, that would be so helpful. DC Redmond 13 wrote, um, I listen to the Kevin Sheehan show and I've given it five stars. It's the best DC based sports podcast. Always enjoy the Washington football team schadenfreude with Tom Lavero. Um, and that's really all uh, I need. Um, uh, it's a big help if you can provide that. So uh, a couple of things before we get to Neil and Rockville and then to Cooley. Number one, uh, Green Bay's done. Uh, them losing last night 27-17 to to Tennessee. They're 4-7, and seven, the first team to get to 11 games. They'd have to run the table to finish 10-7. and seven. The truth is they're not good enough to run the table. And then on top of that, they've got the Eagles, they've got the Dolphins, they've got the Vikings. They're not running the table. 
Uh, the Packers, I think, are done uh, for, for just the third time in 14 years during the Aaron Rodgers era. We will not have a postseason with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers in it. Uh, they could they could win the final six and prove me wrong, um, but they were beaten up last night by the Titans. The Titans were impressive, and so was Ryan Tannehill, but they always are impressive in the regular season. It's the postseason that tends to be uh, the issue. But Ryan Tannehill was 22 of 27 last night for 333 yards and two touchdowns. He did have a pick in the game, but he was outstanding, and so was their rookie receiver, Traylon Burks. He was out for a while, the rookie receiver who was taken, I think, at number 18 overall in the first round, part of all of the receivers that went in the first round. He had seven catches, 111 yards. Uh, the last one actually was just kind of a um, a an icing on the cake throw. I mean, they, it was like with two minutes and three seconds to go, 10-point lead, and they threw it deep, uh, which goes to show you that theory that I have, which is, you know, with 2.04 left, there's no – 2.05 left, whatever it is, there's no risk for a team to throw the football because the clock's going to stop after the play anyway, which is why they took a shot there at the end, um, and then they were able to knee out the game after the first down. But when I've talked about taking timeouts on defense, you always want to take them before the two-minute warning, but you don't want to take them with like 2.06 or less because then you're just giving – the offensive football team free license to throw the ball without really being punished for it because the clock's going to stop anyway. But Burks really uh, looked good last night. Tennessee's a good football team and a well-coached football team. I love Mike Vrabel. Uh, Green Bay, I think, is done. You know, that was one of the teams that if Washington got into a tiebreaker with, they would have won that head-to-head. But I don't think Green Bay is going to be in the picture um, for much longer. They would have to literally, I think, run the table to finish 10-7 and to have a chance. They're just not good enough, I don't think. Um, Something else I wanted to touch on before we bring Neil and Rockville on. So uh, John Orand, who does a great job on Sports Business Journal, I've I've had him on the podcast, I've had him on the radio show before. Um, I really enjoy reading their newsletter. Uh, One of the writers for that newsletter is Ben Fisher. Ben wrote the following in the newsletter yesterday under a section titled Foggy Commander's Picture Chilling Activity, uh, meaning cooling the activity. I'm going to read it to you. In the two weeks since Dan Snyder hired Bank of America to entertain offers for the commanders, there's been near constant conversation and speculation about what's next. But there may be less real activity than meets the eye, sources tell me. A big reason for that is that Jeff Bezos is clearly clearly in the mix, and if he truly wants the team, there's probably little point to competing with the world's second wealthiest man. But another thing is keeping much of the billionaire class from investing too much time or emotional energy in this endeavor. Snyder's true intentions remain a mystery. Quote from an insider, many of the smart bidders, including those on the Broncos, are holding back for now. Bank of America's initial task is to find a new limited partner. But that could easily change, this guy Ben Fisher writes, and insiders agree that a limited partner role would seemingly carry a limited appeal without a path of control. But of course, it also remains possible that the entire sales concept is a KFAB, which I had to look this up, is kind of a staging or a ruse designed for Snyder to buy time 
with other owners, closed quote. Interesting. Sports Business Journal, credible sports product, uh, you know, headed up by our good friend John Orand, who writes for it. Ben Fisher writing that many of the smart bidders are basically holding back because Bank of America's initial task was to find a new limited partner or minority partner. Now, if that was the initial task, and then the team, remember, put out the um, statement that day, we're exploring all options. But if that actually was Bank of America's initial task, Dan and Tanya said, go help us find, you know, a 30% or 40% minority owner, um, you know, with, with a valuation of, you know, $7 billion and whatever that would mean for the minority interest. I think that, you know, a lot of people have said, and it makes sense, it's going to be hard for Dan Snyder to find somebody to come in as a minority shareholder because, you know, it hasn't worked out for anybody. No one's really enjoyed being partners with Dan Snyder in anything. So there's that. Um, You know, it's not a bad financial investment, the NFL, so he could find somebody to do it. But there is certainly the thought that no one in the billionaire class wants to be in a business with Dan Snyder. So even though maybe the initial task was to find a minority uh, shareholder, given the challenges he has financially with the loan that is due back to the league in 2028, the loan used to pay off his other minority shareholders, and by the way, the process which he wants to begin, which is to build a new stadium, it just may, you know, that combined with some of the family stuff and all of the other stuff we've talked about, it may just carry the day in terms of him moving on from Bank of America looking for a limited partner and looking for, uh, you know, a complete sale of the team to somebody who would take over a majority share, if not the entire equity stake in the team. But I thought that was an interesting report. You know, that uh, he's got an insider saying that Bank of America's initial task with this thing was to find a minority partner and that um, some actually believe that this entire idea could be kind of a ruse by Snyder or a staging of Snyder to buy time with the other owners. Buying time would mean until all of these things out there, you know, the Mary Jo White investigation, the House Oversight and Reform Committee report, whatever that says, the stuff that Carl Racine's involved in, uh, you know, Snyder still may be holding out hope that he can go to the league's owners who have probably already come to him and said, Dan, it's time. And maybe he said, okay, fine. I'll, you know, I'll engage with Bank of America and we'll get the ball rolling on this. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some time to get this done. You know, Bank of America has got to put together the whole book uh, for the sale of the team. That takes time. I mean, this is not an easy process. It takes a lot of time, a lot of legalese, a lot of, lot of lawyers, a lot of investment bankers involved, um, you know, in, in, in selling any kind of stake uh, in a company. Um, and maybe Dan's thinking, okay, while this is all going on, I'm going to be able to go back to the owners at some point and say, see, there's nothing here. So we'll see. Uh, but I thought that was an interesting report. Last thing before we get to Neil and Rockville, I wanted to play the following soundbite from Jack Del Rio yesterday. It was coordinator day yesterday, um, for the team. And I have said all week, this is the trap game. You know, this is the NFL trap game. 
you know, you you have this big win, unexpected win, Monday night football. You are high as a kite and against an undefeated team, and now you're going to play the team with the worst record in football on the road. Let down, trap game. The line is three. Yeah, I can tell you right now Houston's going to be in the smell test, but that might not be my uh, – I may have them covering. I may not have them winning the game. Uh, you'll have to wait until the end of the Cooley segment to get my prediction on the game. But I think that Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera and the people they have out there have been through the wars. They understand what Sunday is. Not everybody does. Now, can they get that message across to a lot of young players? We'll find out on Sunday. But this is what Jack Del Rio said about you know the high of Monday night and then trying to get up for a game against the team with the worst record in the league. Yeah, as a player who's been um, a part of, of both sides um, and as a coach who's been involved in games in those situations, I know how important it is that um, we prepare and that we go compete and be, be ready to strain for 60 minutes because the NFL is full of talented players and coaches. Um, and those that are disrespected are always scary because they all have talent. We all have talent. So we are going in um, looking for their best and preparing, respectful, because we know what it feels like to be disrespected. We were disrespected last week and have been quite a bit over the first start of this year. But it, it, it doesn't really matter because our focus is on our preparation. But I think the understanding, the respect for the game and the coaches and the players that work so hard to prepare each week, it's, it's legitimate. And I have countless examples of why you should throughout my playing and coaching career. Jack knows. He's been there, done that. Ron talked about it earlier this week. You know, this is a good sign. Um, this is a good sign. They've got a veteran coaching staff. They've got young players, but they've picked the kind of players. I believe this. You know, uh, we can nitpick, you know, all of the, you know, moves in the Carson Wentz trade and the William Jackson signing, and there have been some, you know, sketchy moves with respect to personnel. But I do believe, and have believed this for a while, that Ron knows what kind of player he wants and what kind of staff he wants. And they have been talking all week about the, you know, the pitfalls of the situation on Sunday. They've been through it. They've been there, done that. They've been on the wrong side of it, I guarantee you, many times. So that's a good sign to know that, you know, you've got a guy like Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio who understand what this league is. It's a fine line league. Don't look at the record. Houston's capable of beating Washington Sunday, especially if they don't prepare well and they go in there on a high from Monday night thinking one seven and one, this is going to be easy. All right, let's, uh, before we get to Cooley, uh, let's bring in Neil and Rockville to try to make heads and tails out of the Carl Racine thing uh, from yesterday. I've already mentioned, Neil, that uh, Racine, you know, filed this lawsuit. It deals with the deposits not being returned, and he says an egregious and a deceptive uh, practice by the team. Why don't you go ahead and explain uh, what this is and whether or not it it has legs? So... What Racine did in this lawsuit is basically what everyone would think is a proper consumer protection lawsuit. Basically what he did was he sued on behalf of D.C. residents the 
team stating that they had not properly returned security deposits that may have been in their system of the commanders or Redskins uh, since basically 1996, and that they put up seemingly obstacles for the return of the monies um, that are due and owing to whomever initiated the deposits uh, when tickets were back about 10 to 15 years ago uh, needed to have security deposits. That's no longer been the case for a long period of time anyway. So where does this go? I think one of the things that struck me is that they're looking for basically like $200,000. This is different than what Jason Friedman had told the House Oversight and Reform Committee, which is that there were, there's roughly $5 million out there in unreturned deposits. I know he is just representing the district, so there could be another $4.8 million worth of outstanding um, unreturned deposits in Maryland, D- uh, Maryland, Virginia, and other places. But what did you make of the you know the two hundred thousand dollar number well the two hundred thousand dollar number probably breaks down to about two hundred individuals are owed a thousand dollars now the individuals can be actually real people or they can be corporate entities um, that over the past twenty some years have not been provided their security deposits back basically what he says is that the the commanders put up roadblocks to get the return of the monies that are doing owing. Um, the outline in the complaint isn't that it's necessarily uh, a, a conspiracy to try and necessarily keep these monies. It's even stated in the complaint that letters were sent out to many of these, if not all of these individuals, telling them that they had this money um, and that, what they needed to do was provide what it sounds like is probably an affidavit stating that, you know, this is my money, it's doing owing to me, please send it to me, that there seemingly also had been issues of those documents weren't properly being filled out or they were being sent in by individuals who weren't the named um, owner of the tickets at the time they were initially bought, um, and therefore there seemingly are 200 people who are still due and owing monies that are in the commander's um, accounts somewhere. All right. So if this... So more... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, so I mean, basically, if it's successful, the individuals should receive their monies. I think if it's shown that it was egregious or it was purposeful, they might be able to get some fines or penalties against the team. But most of the monies that are due and owing of this 200000 should just go back to the people <laughs> if they can find them. Right. Um, because over 20 years, the, some people may be dead, some corporate entities might be uh, dissolved. So, you know, yeah, it's not it's not that big of a of a deal compared to the five million that Freeman talked about. And though there might be some of the same things in either Maryland or Virginia, if you extrapolate out the numbers, you, you don't get the five million. No, you don't get a situation that looks, um, uh, you know, as headline worthy as the one uh, that he put out there. By the way, the team did put out a statement, you know, uh, like they did a week ago. The statement from the team uh, in regards in response to the Carl Racine uh, second lawsuit 
quote, the team has not accepted security deposits for over 20 years in the case of premium premium tickets and over a decade in the case of suites. And we began returning them to season ticket holders as, as early as 2004. In 2014, as part of a comprehensive review, team management was instructed to send notices to over 1,400 customers with deposits and return all security deposits requested. Further, the team engaged an outside law firm and forensic auditors to conduct an extensive review of the team's accounts, which found no evidence that the team intentionally withheld security deposits that should have been returned to customers or that the team improperly converted any unclaimed deposits to revenue. Just on that last point, the team engaged in an outside law firm and forensic auditors, yes, but paid by the team um, so, you know, that certainly would, would give you pause or not, uh, that this was sort of an independent review of what they did. Well, it, it clearly was an independent review, but a lot of corporations have outside auditors as right. they should look over things. And part of it, what it seems to be was that in 2014, they came to a realization that there was the possibility that keeping this money's might have been actually in violation of some consumer protection laws in Virginia having to do with lost or kept property by corporations. So what it sounds like is in response to that, to make sure they were being compliant with Virginia, they had some auditors come in, look over what they had. If there was a problem, then send out notices to all these people, like saying, you know, file this document with us and so we can send it to you, which doesn't seem to be egregious in any way, shape, or form, particularly due to the time period, because you can't just send checks in the mail to the last known address of the individual, sure. as some may be dead, some might be... Or they've moved. You know, or they've moved, or things like that. Yeah. So what they seemingly did does not seem anything out of the ordinary. All right. Uh, last one on this. So let's just say that Judge Judy uh, rules in favor of... Uh, the attorney general on behalf of all of these residents in the district. They just pay it back with interest, or maybe there's some penalties that they find it to have been an egregious, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, a practice, and that's it? Yeah, I mean, but this is what, this is the type that you I don't see going to court. I mean, they'll list the individuals through discovery if there are claims and they're realistic claims, the commanders are going to pay it. It's not that much money, and I, this right. isn't something that's going to go to court. Right. So the lasting effect of this is what on Dan Snyder and the team? Absolutely nothing. Now, I want to make sure everybody understands, too, this has nothing to do with the Jason Friedman allegations that the team was shorting the league on ticket revenues. Um, because this is not a de- that that definitely isn't an attorney general of the District of Columbia thing. Um, that's a league thing. Uh, that's a private matter. Um, but at least this one a week later seems more like a consumer protection issue uh, than the idea that the team should have disclosed that they had a toxic workplace before they sold tickets to uh, to people for their games. Um, and I also, I also yeah. think you can tell the importance of it because unlike the first one a week ago that there was a dog and pony show um, press conference held, this one was released via Twitter. <laughs> right. Uh, while Twitter still exists. Which might be gone tomorrow. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. You got it.
Neil in Rockville, everybody, with uh, his thoughts on the latest a lawsuit against the team from Carl Racine, the D.C. Attorney General, outgoing Attorney uh, General. All right, up next, Cooley will jump on with me, and we will get after uh, the football team and the matchup with the Texans on Sunday. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Cooley is with us, and this segment of the show is brought to you by our good friends at Window Nation. They've got a great deal going on right now. Buy two, get two free with no limit. Put no money down, make no payments, and pay no interest until the year 2025. If you're looking for new windows, 86690Nation, windownation.com. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate. Uh, Window Nation's the best. You're not going to get a better deal, work with a better company, or find a better product. You'll save thousands on your energy bills. 86690Nation, windownation.com. All right, Cooley is with us. I've Got a compliment to pay you here uh, in a moment. But just before we get to um, previewing Houston, Washington and giving a prediction, which we'll do in this segment, just what's your first blush on this game uh, after their big win on Monday night? Um, the, they're not very good. They're really basic on offense. Um, they can't stop the run whatsoever. And somehow it's going to be closer than it should be. <laughs> we're done. All right. That's it. We're done. That kind of sums it up for sure. Um I think. We'll see. Uh we'll get to the preview of the game. I did want to share with you though. Your film breakdown from the other day got rave reviews. I just want you to know that. Uh not that you need to, you know, be patted on the back for a job well done, but I think people loved how much work you put into that one. It was outstanding. I love you, buddy. I put the same amount of work into all of them. Well, no, they're rave reviews because they won, <laughs> and I was positive. So, <laughs> like, I'm learning this weird thing, right? It's a really hard lesson for me to learn. You just say nice things, and you just try to fit in, and you you get into boys' clubs, and you just go along to get along, and then everyone's happy. I don't, you don't do what I've done my whole life, which is piss everyone off and say what I want to say and have better ideas and tell people how to do things. You just, you don't do those things. I'm, I'm wrong. You just go with the flow. 
No, you know, stay it, nice. It's it's stay not, nice it's not just go with the flow. And you and I have had these lengthy conversations before. Nope, you're wrong. About just there is a little bit at times, depending on the audience, a little bit of finesse required. And I think you're very capable of finesse when required. Um, But that has nothing to do with the other day. The other day, the reason people loved the film breakdown, yeah, I mean, it was positive. And I think it's more fun to listen to when they're off a big win and there's a lot positive. But it's because you had a lot of detail. There have been a couple of film breakdowns this year where they weren't really film breakdowns. No, not no. There have not. Well, there have been a couple where you really didn't have you didn't watch the whole well, if game. If you're talking about the last two weeks when I didn't do a film, when I didn't watch <laughs> film. <laughs> well, you didn't watch film. I'm not talking. Like the- I'm not talking about those two. I, I, I'm just telling you what I think people thought and felt about the film breakdown the other day. It was great. It was really good. Maybe I should put a little finesse into this portion of the conversation. I I can't tell everybody how much I appreciate that uh, because I did work very hard on it. Yeah, you know, and it feels good. I'm glad. And thank you for telling me that. So nice of you. It certainly wasn't a surprise that that Rivera named Heineke the starter, uh, but he used basically Carson Wentz's uh, ongoing recovery from his broken finger and the surgery as, you know, he got cleared to throw, but he hasn't really been cleared, you know, uh, in our minds to to, to play a game. I, I don't know. It, I, I think if you take him at his word, um, which I'm willing to do, Carson's not ready. But I want to share with you what I shared with Tommy on the podcast yesterday. And that is that if Carson Wentz is ready to play physically, they should pull him off injured reserve, activate him, and have him as the backup quarterback. Because Sunday's game is huge. And if Taylor Heineke went down and Sam Howell wasn't ready but had to go into the game anyway and they lost the game when Carson Wentz was ready to play, but they just wanted to avoid some of the you know discussion about Taylor starting over Carson Wentz, that would be the wrong thing to do. If he's ready to play, they're going to put him on the active roster. Mm, okay. You're sure of that? Yeah, I, 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 I can't imagine if he's ready to play, they're going to put him on the active roster just to, just to keep the ruse. Uh, if he's hurt, he's hurt. But here's my, my strong take on this. Taylor Heineke is the quarterback moving forward. If we have to make decisions in the future based on play, then we'll make those decisions. But as of right now, with what Taylor Heineke's done for this team and for our organization and the way he's played, he deserves the starting job. Period. uh, You don't have to be afraid to say Taylor is your starter. Mm. Happens every year on every team with every position. Yeah. And name Taylor Heineke. Let's just say he's the starter. He's the, we know he is. There was no doubt after the Philly game that he was going to be the starter. So just name him starter. It's good for Car- it's good for good for Heineke too, but it's good for the team because when you don't name him the starter, then and it's not common, but you start to get 
those little questions and all the things seeping in. It's, hey, what do you think about Carson Wentz? Is he healthy? He was healthy, you know. How do you feel about it? All that crap. Just name Heineke the starter. I'm with you. I think that, you know, and I told Tommy yesterday on the podcast, I said, look, if if Carson's healthy, I don't think Ron or anybody out there should be afraid to just say, look, Carson is ready to go. He, his finger looks good. He's been throwing the ball well. Taylor Heineke is has played well here, played very well on Monday night, and Taylor is our starter for right now. You know, we'll evaluate this situation every week, but for now, Taylor's the starter, period. I don't know that they want to say that. Um, and maybe they'll get to the point where they have no choice but to say that. But maybe they won't get to that point because maybe he'll play a game on Sunday like he played the first half against Green Bay or three quarters against Indy or the fourth quarter interception against Minnesota that really cost him dearly. Um, and maybe he won't have another game that was like Monday night. Or maybe he will. Then that's Who fine. knows? But based on the fact that he's won what? Four out of the last five games? No, three out of the last four. When you say he's won them, he has been the starting quarterback for a three-in-one stretch. You know what I'm saying. I know. Don't correct me. I I can correct you all I want on on your podcast. As a a guest on your podcast, I can correct you all you want, all I want. Essentially, he's the starting pitcher. He gets a win. So he's won three out of the last four. Uh, Yeah. He certainly was significant on Monday night. Um, and he was significant at the yeah, end of the but, Indianapolis game as well. I, but I want to I throw something else into this because Tommy is convinced, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are because I don't think we've talked about this. But when that ESPN story came out you know, three weeks ago, um, the Seth Wickersham, Don Van Natta Jr., Tisha Thompson story, one of the you know, little tidbits in the story was, quote, Snyder is still far more involved running the club than most realize, imploring football decision-makers last March to trade for quarterback Carson Wentz, closed quote. That's when Ron went off, remember, after the Indy game, or whatever game mm-hmm. it was, um, saying, no, I, was, I went through the analytics. I was watching the tape in Indianapolis when we were there for the combine mm-hmm. on Carson Wentz. Um Tommy thinks that he still believes the story that Snyder was involved in in, in so tapping Carson once. I 100% believe that. I just also believe that Ron Rivera is sitting there saying, I was on board just the same as you. You're not going to take credit for this. Well, why would he want to take I mean, a lot of credit for it at this, at this point? But, well, he, I mean, at the point he did it, it was, it was interesting. But now it would be a name. Well, Car- I mean, when he when he did it, Carson wasn't playing well. No, he did it after. No, this was October third. This this was this was October. I'm going to give he you the did date. Did it after it. a win? They did it after a win in a decent game. No, I think he was. Yeah. Uh, no, it's uh, it was uh, it was the day of the Bears game. He, so they had not played the, the Bears of, yet, but they won the game before. They won the game no, before. No, that. they didn't. They lost to Tennessee the game before that. They were one and four. He threw the interception at the end of the game. So, uh, the, the, oh, I just swear that they won the game before that, but well, or that he played well. Well, you can swear all you want, but you're wrong. Actually, here, let's. I mean, we'll make it even. What? We'll look at. We 
we're going to look at this, what they did. It doesn't matter. But like, it, so he, so Tommy's convinced that Snyder's that Ron Rivera's is, play, is playing the the game of not naming Taylor Heineke as the starter and using an injury so he doesn't have to deal with Dan. Well, he's just that he is qu- sort of quietly, you know, in the background saying, "I told you so." Taylor's our guy. But but let me just say, yeah. But see, why wouldn't why? What does he have to fear in terms of saying, "No, Taylor is our guy. I don't care what you say. You're on a yacht." So We're in the room. So here's the thing. Guys, here's well, here's the thing. And and by the way, what I, do you have to fear? What's Dan going to do at this point? I, I disagree with actually. I disagreed with Tommy, and I disagree with you. I'm not discounting it as a possibility. Obviously, that would be stupid based I on his question. It wasn't for you to disagree. I, I mean, I just don't want you to answer. I'll right. answer the question after I go back and, and state something on your opinion that it was definitely Dan and it, it was Tommy's also. I, I'm, 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 I'm going to. Dan was involved, but I said, I, you, you, you're changing my word. I said Ron wasn't just the same involved. Okay. That's fine. I think, too. I think they were together on it. Okay. That's different. You said I agree with Tommy. No, I didn't. You can rewind. I said that I think Ron is saying I'm pretty sure you said I agree with Tommy I do agree with Tommy that Dan was involved but the caveat and the add-on to it is that Ron was also involved okay Tommy thinks that it was you know he believes the report that basically they you know they they, Dan stepped in like he did with the Haskins thing and said go get you know Carson Wentz what I was gonna was this is this conversation uh, whatever it's it's really not important I love it it's not that important, I it, but I, I just want to remind you that it's not like Ron Rivera or Martin Mayhew or Marty Herney or Chris Polian or anybody in that organization um, thought that Taylor Heineke could be the starter this year they, or, or the year before. They went after Stafford in 2021, and they went after Russell Wilson and actually offered more than Denver offered for Russell Wilson. Then they were interested in Jimmy Garoppolo until Garoppolo Ooh. had the surgery. Then they got desperate and went after Carson Wentz. If Dan was involved in communicating with Ron saying, go for it, or I think you should de- definitely go get Carson Wentz, we got to get somebody, uh, I'm totally on board with that. The, the idea that, that Dan did what the, these guys wrote, which was um, imploring football decision makers last March to trade for cor- quarterback Carson Wentz, and they're not saying – they're not implying necessarily that it was against what the football decision makers wanted, um, but imploring football decision makers last March to trade for quarterback Carson Wentz implies that he was very involved. Um, Carson Wentz was desperation. It, it, it felt like desperation the moment it happened because he was going to get released and they traded too much for him and ate his whole salary when anybody would have thought to go back to Indianapolis and say, Look, we'll give you a draft choice, and we'll even swap the spots in this upcoming draft in the in the third round with you, or whatever round that was. But we're not eating the twenty eight million. You're eating half of it. We'll eat half of it. That's the deal. If not, you get nothing by cutting him. But I, I thought that they the the deal reeked of desperation, and I think the, I think I think Rivera was very much involved, probably in cutting a deal. Now it certainly wouldn't be uh, above Dan to overpay. You know, and say whatever it takes, because they were the kings of overpaying during the time in which Dan and Vinny were around. Changed with Bruce, obviously. But anyway, um, I don't even know why we're talking about this. It's it's really no, and 
but the, 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 if Ron is involved in any way, shape, or form, the mistake he made is back to the original conversation when this the whole thing came out. It, it, I, I told you this, and I'm sure you'll remember. If Dan made a list of five quarterbacks, I'm not taking one, two, three, or four for sure. <laughs> like I'm going to take number five on his list. <laughs> Whatever he thinks of quarterbacks. Yeah. And here's the funny thing. I don't care if Dan's sitting right here and we're having a beer together. I would tell him that he has no idea how to pick, how to pick a quarterback. You told him that it's, once it's, or twice. I have. I actually probably have told him that. Yeah. Um, don't take, don't, you're not involved in quarterbacks. You, you don't do it. So, it, I mean, if, if Ron was involved, and the only reason I could see Ron not being involved in saying, hey, we evaluated everything and did everything, was so he just didn't completely ruin Carson Wentz's year here. He probably likes Carson. Probably didn't want to. And if he went and said, yeah, you know, that owner does things and he did it, and that, that makes Carson feel great about the coaching staff. I mean, golly, he's feeling good. I mean, it may have been a protective mechanism by Ron just to de- just to protect his relationship and the team's relationship with Carson, maybe. which is the right thing to do. Yeah. But maybe he was involved and said, and it was desperation, and said, you know, I, I, I did like Carson Wentz. And honestly, who else were they getting? Right. But where we're at right now is that Carson Wentz should not be the starter and Taylor Heineke should be the starter. And I, I will still stand by this fact that if you have anything else in the next offseason or draftable, I don't think that Taylor Heineke is going to be a top 15 quarterback. So you still are finding a way to move on. He's playing well. The team likes him. It's hot right now. Is he longevity for Washington? I would bet on not. I like Heineke. I, uh, and honestly, I don't even care if I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong because I like Heineke. I wish for his success. He is my favorite part of that team right now. He is so much fun to watch. He's a smart player. He's like all the intangibles of Heineke for me is this is a dude I like and I want to watch play ball. Right. So I would, I would, I would love to be proven wrong and saying, I don't think he's your long-term answer, but I don't think I will be. Right. You want to tell everybody since we're on answer for this year though. Since we're on this subject right now, because it's been a subject that's come up many times, why don't you think? I know you've stated it in the, stated it in the past, but this you know it's been a while since we've talked about why Taylor Heineke isn't you know a guy that you can you know build into a franchise quarterback. Um, why? Not even a franchise quarterback. That's that's the wrong way to put it. Personally, I think he's a backup quarterback in the NFL. I think you know, I, and I think he's a great backup quarterback. I think he's a high-level backup no quarterback in the that. NFL. So why isn't he more I, than that honestly, moving I, forward? I, then? There are days when he's on, and we just saw a day that he was on against the Philadelphia Eagles. But the days that he's not on, where he's a little bit inaccurate, he makes some risky throws that I think uh, you would really question. I don't think he has the ability to make every single throw. I love his off-schedule ability, but that's going to run out here in the near future. Um Look, I think he's a guy that's smart and can get you in the tempo and offense and the way you want to run things, but I don't think he's a guy that you can win because of him. I think he's a guy that, with everyone around, potentially you can win, but I just don't see him being a guy that has the ability to sit in the pocket and make all the throws all the time, and he hasn't shown that yet. Right. He's Gardner Minshew. 
He's Colt McCoy. You know, it's, it's so funny. I, I, I was so impressed with Gardner Minshew from me, afar, you know, when you watch him on occasion. Right. And then uh, we've both talked to people who knew him and were around him and said, you can't win with Gardner Minshew. Yeah, but he's a hell of a backup because when he gets in there, he's completely, uh, you know, unfazed by the occasion. He's fearless. He's a, he's a gunslinger. Actually, I love and I love that in a backup. But I think those are great backups. Like Colt McCoy is a, is a gunslinger. Colt McCoy gets hurt every single time he goes yeah. to the game. But you know, Gardner Minshew's a gunslinger. You know, Rex Grossman was a great backup. He knew the offense. He knew the system, and he'll just go let it fly for a game. Right. And that's tough on defenses, and they see it differently. Uh, it, it, like, it's always amazing. Like, I, and I knew Chase Daniel. He was in Washington first, and I love Chase. I don't think he's a great backup. He, he's probably great in the room and all the things, but when you have to put him in, I don't know if I love Chase Daniel in the game. He had to go into the so game. Did. He had to go into the game the other yeah, day. Yeah, he got hit and sacked and out. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He, I think he threw like an incomplete pass, then got sacked, and then he on was out. On a screen that was risky. Yeah. Yeah. And then he, well, it was because they had that, in, that crazy hit on the quarterback, the 49ers did, where their linebacker gets ejected, and then Kyle's over there talking to the officials. And I was watching, I was actually watching it with a buddy, and I said, he's telling those, he's not arguing that call right now. That call's over. He's telling them that you got to pull the quarterback, they got to go evaluate him. Which was a smart move by Kyle. Yeah. $41 million he's earned in his career. He's 36 years old, and he's, he's probably thrown like 30 NFL passes in regular season games. It's more than that. But it's, it's not a Can lot. Can you imagine more. going in here like, if there was a game to go into, uh, maybe it would be good if it wasn't like the 49ers and Joey Bosa. <laughs> God, I'm 30, 36 years old, and we get my head knocked off here. I, I did this recently. Can't move anymore. He has started in his career, okay, which he was a rookie in 2010. He has started five games total in his NFL career. He's, mm-hmm. He's so it, smart. Oh, my God. What what a gig. What a gig. I mean, he is brilliant in terms of his decision-making process into what teams he needs to go play for. Well, there, there, there's clearly, and we've talked about this before. I don't want to bore people because I know we've had this conversation before. But when you've been with, you know, five or six teams, including, by the way, an Andy Reid team in in Kansas City, and you know Matt Nagy who who left the Andy Reid tree, and you know he, he's uh, um, Sean Payton had him uh, in New Orleans. Like, there's something about this guy that real coaches really love. He must be phenomenal yeah, in the quarterback there's a room. Lot, there's a lot to it, He's probably phenomenal in the quarterback room. He's probably phenomenal on the practice field. He probably gives you everything you want. And a lot of times when you have a backup quarterback like that, this is so far away from the Texans game, but when you have a legitimate backup quarterback, you're, it's a big deal getting through all your OTAs in your training camp and installing and running it the way you want to run it. And when your backup can execute in a practice level the same as your starter, which Chase can do, then you are helping every other second-team guy get better and operate on that level. Yeah. It's a big deal. I mean, you've got a lot of time spent on the practice field in an NFL year. And when your backup quarterback operates quick and gets the ball out and it's where it's supposed to be, you can evaluate your team that way. 
he's valuable. And for the joking that we've done about Daniel a little bit, he was in my top 15 of favorite players on that team in my career. I loved the dude. He was awesome. What he was, um, I mean, he came around, you were a five or six year veteran at that point, right? Mm hmm. And he was, how long was he in DC? It was a couple of minutes, right? A year? Was it a year? A, cu- a couple cups of coffee? I don't know. It was. Did he make it through? He might not have made Two, it through camp. He we did. had a few guys. It was amazing. Like, he got, so he got cut and picked up uh, by the Saints during camp. Yeah, that was about the end of me making friends with young players. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there were guys like... You, this will be way back for you, but there was a year where they drafted Jordan Palmer in the seventh, and yeah, I remember Dallas Sarts in the fifth, and they were. It was I was in heaven. I think it was my third year. Like these are going to be my dudes. Neither of them made it through camp. <laughs> was was got the, them both? Wasn't the guy Sarts a tight end? No, he was a linebacker. Linebacker at a USC. And Jordan was Carson Palmer's younger brother. Yeah, and Jordan's doing a phenomenal job now with quarterback training and all the right. stuff. That's right. Um, I, I wanted to ask you one more question about the quarterback stuff. So I, I think one of the reasons, and Ron's basically implied this this week, that you know Taylor is a favorite. I mean, the the, the players love him. I mean, you 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 understand that, and we all understand that the players yeah, really the like Nick him. Foles of the locker. What'd you say? I said he's the Nick Foles of the locker room. Why did they like Nick Foles a lot more than Wentz before Foles yeah. played? Yeah, they uh-huh. did. They did in Philly. That's what I heard. That's I mean that's been, that's been reported in Philly. I didn't know that. I mean, the, I'm t- you're talking about 2016, 2017, his first two years when he was killing. Uh, oh, it? Yeah, everyone loved it. Like, it'd be impossible. I hung out with Nick Foles and spent some time with him. It'd be hard not to like Nick Foles. Well, you yeah, you guys shared an agent, right? We went to a Lady Annabellum concert together backstage. <laughs> wow. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was cool. So here's... I, don't, I didn't care about Lady Annabellum, but he, he did. He, well, he really wanted to go. So, Mike, so went with him. Mike's told me and Jay has told me, you know, on the air um, before, that you can't fool the team. You know, when you've, when you've got people at any position that you're playing just because they were drafted high or because of their contract, but somebody else out there is much better. You can't fool the team, and that's when you start to lose the team is when you're playing a guy that shouldn't be playing. You feel that way? 100%. Give me some examples. Now, you can. I think in a lot of times you can fool the team in terms of why they're not playing. You mean the guy that's but, better? I mean, if, if, if there's some reason, I mean, you can you can give the team. Like if Ron really wants to do the, if, if Carson wasn't really hurt, he can sit Carson down and say, hey, look, right now Heineke's the guy. Uh, you and I both know it's a week-to-week deal with him. And some weeks he has good weeks and some weeks he has bad weeks. And, you know, I, I don't want to make an announcement this week and, with your risk, how it is, or whatever, you know, just let's let it go a week. We'll just say, you know, Carson's not ready to take all the reps that we could practice, and Carson can say, okay. You can't fool a team and fool the player. Like, But 
but if you talk to Carson in that fashion, they can manage it that way. I know, but I, I want to know in the in the locker but room. I, I like in the locker room when when there's a guy that's clearly better than a guy that's starting and playing. And when you know when Shanahan and Gruden both said, yeah, there's you, the old doghouse theory. What that the guy that isn't playing who's better is in the doghouse? Yeah. What? Well, how it, how it, do you McNabb yeah. Rex Grossman dilemma? Yeah. Tell me about that. Tell everybody about that. McNabb walked through the building, and uh, I'm sure he told everyone the same story. But I ran into him, and he said. I think I just got benched. He said, what? He said, yeah, I, I think they, I got benched. Mike told me that I was, I, you know, we're going to see, we're going to let Rex take a lot of the snaps this week in practice. And I said, did, did you get benched? He said, I, I'm pretty sure. I said, well, did he say that? He said, no. <laughs> like, oh, Okay. So Rex takes all the practice steps, and Rex goes in, and that's when Mike did the cardio thing the, the, from right. the two-minute drill in Detroit. And, uh, look, Donovan was a better player at that time than Rex Grossman. But you're, it, see, you're, you're using it's debatable. It's debatable at that time, like where Donovan was in the year and in our offense. But they could have they could have related some of the stuff back to. They could have simplified for Donovan a little bit. They did not do that that year. I know, but you're not answering my question. I'm looking for the opposite. I'm looking for you're out of practice Donovan every day. Donovan was a better player, and they benched him. I understand that, but that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the example of when a guy like RG3, I mean, Mike used the example with RG3. They all knew. Everybody knew Kirk was better. At some point, you can't, you know, you can't continue to put a guy out there, you okay. can't fool the players. And if you continue to do that, you're going to lose the team. Jay Gruden said that about RG3 and Cousins. He also said it about RG3 and McCoy. He said the team knew you're going to lose the team if you continue to put the guy out there that can't do it and there are other guys that, that are going to help the team win. That's what I'm talking about specifically. No, I mean, I, I still think we're talking about the same thing. Well, you know, because they they, there they, benched, they benched the guy. Where there's a guy that can't help. This is not that common, that there's a guy that can't help the team. Right. And and there's a guy that really could, and that they don't play the guy that really could. Because a draft position, a contract, or something like that. Much much like much like the Donovan and Rex conversation, the Heineke and Wentz, like really start, like it fits the bill to some extent. Because... Neither one are dynamically better than the other at the point you're at. Right. I think he's playing better right now. But is he a dynamically better player? Is it obvious? I don't I don't think so. Uh, some people have made it. If the team loves the, – the, the thing you, you really have to weigh it is I think he's been here. And if the team loves the dude right. and he's playing better, you can't bench him. Exactly. Or you start to get – pushback from the team and the team's leaders McLaurin John Leno etc they want Taylor Heineke out there that makes a big difference too right it does it does make a big difference but do do remember that if the team loves a guy and he's not dynamically better there's not a big difference it's not the end of the world 
if they play the, if they play the guy that's slightly worse. Like if 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 Wentz was a little bit better, if yeah. we could see or define in any way that Wentz was going to give us a better chance to win or was going to give them a better chance to win, which I don't think you can, but if you were going to define that, the team's fine. They'll they'll be they'll still be behind Heineke. Heineke. He's it's we're not going to have this uprising. Right. Well, I, th- yeah, it would be the opposite. It would be if they right played now, Wentz and Heineke, you know, only gave him a slightly better chance to win. I, I actually go ahead. Right now, what? Right now, the thing is, is if I don't know how they feel about either player, I, I don't. I don't know how they feel about Wentz. I do know. I do have an idea how they feel about Heineke. Right. I don't know how they feel about Wentz, but you can't bench Heineke because you've just won three big games in a row. Well, you didn't win three, three out of four. Three out of four. Yeah. Three out of four. I'm sorry. It's, and it's okay. you feel good about your guy who you also love. Mm-hmm. They can't. They can't put Wentz in. They won't. Now Heineke could have one bad game, and that could—that—that's the thing with Heineke. I what? think that's the way Kirk felt early in his career when he got one or two games instead of Robert and, and, and Colt McCoy. That was the year that was like Kirk, Colt, and Robert. Yeah. And Colt and Kirk both knew, man. If I make a mistake today, it'll be the—I'll be done. I'll be benched. I that's the thing I hate the most, but I feel like Heineke is somewhat in that situation. Colt he's got to go out and win games, and he's got to play good football because if he comes out and lays an egg, they'll, they'll put wins in. Colt won that game in Dallas on that Monday night, remember, in overtime where he was oh, yeah. 25 of 30, and then they started RG3 the next week because he was healthy in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what if we're going to get to Houston and the keys to a win over Houston in a moment? I promise. About three minutes. What if on my show? What if um, what if Scott Turner said to you, you know, Carson gives us a better chance because we can really stretch the field, we can really be explosive in the pass offense. And during those first five weeks or six games when he was in there, we weren't as good on defense. The offensive line wasn't as good. Um, and he didn't know the offense as well as he knows it now after sitting back and watching Taylor run it for four or five weeks. Would that be something you, you would buy into? Is that possible? He makes well, us more dynamic. You can't sell me something that's untrue. And the problem with that is, is that Wentz is unproven over the last couple of years. He was not better in Indianapolis. You can't go pull film before or after his injury. They would show me that he was doing that thing. I mean, if you really want to do it, the way to do it is say, Carson's our starter this week. Uh, we believe he's our guy. He's the best. He's, he's going to give us the best chance to win this week, and we're going with Carson, period. We don't, we're not going to fight about it. I, yeah, Everyone's going to support Carson. We all believe in Heineke, but Carson's the guy. That's how it is. The, you just can't do it until Heineke plays poorly for a game. I understand that. I'm just saying, if I, I, I uh, trust me, I'm not. How, how are you going to sell me that? Like, I'm not. I'm not selling that line of shit. I'm not selling it to you. But you, your answer know, but was your Scott answer Turner's wasn't a good one. You know why your answer wasn't I, a good I'm one? I'm treating you as Scott Turner. You know why? You know why your You're answer? You know why your answer wasn't know a good role. one? Your answer wasn't a good one because it has nothing to do with what Carson Wentz was in Indianapolis or what he was, you know, uh, in Philly that last year. Because I'm comparing him to what we have here. I'm telling you, as Scott Turner, 
he's now much more comfortable in the offense. The O-line is better. You know, I heard Chris Cooley on this podcast that he does with this dude say that the offensive line Monday night was much better in pass pro. Um, the defense, Why did I say that? The defense is much improved. Well, you said it because the quarterback was stepping up, and you know there are a lot of reasons. But the but the bottom line is, even that pass uh, that pass block win rate number has improved here over the last couple of weeks, which is a you know okay okay but 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 what we can do now with Carson is now by having the threat to really have some explosive potential in the pass game, we really could be good offensively now. Yeah. Um, going back <laughs> okay. to the start of the show, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to say, oh, okay, coach. That's what you think. You're certainly right. <laughs> You're certainly no, right. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm like, yeah, no, seriously, if, if go I along, get along, this, like one, one, you're not going to do this with like, Scott Turner's not going to do this. This is not happening. I, I'm just but two. If it did happen, I would, I would sit here and say, yeah, no, I get it. Um, I know how to keep score and see what the scores were when he, Put up eight, twelve, seven, and seventeen points over four weeks. It, certainly, he's got it in him because he's learned the offense better. Our offensive line is dynamically better uh, because Heineke sits at five yards in the pocket or six yards instead of eleven where Wentz sits. You know, he doesn't take seven, eight, nine-step drops on plays where you can take three and rock and throw. You know, was Wentz getting the ball? Oh, by the way, I'm a receiver. You know you... what I, I, I love? I love when I'm trying to catch a ball at six yards, and it's a fucking lightning bolt at my knee. That's awesome. <laughs> there were a couple of those. There were definitely a couple of like, those in the first few I mean, games. I mean, if you wanted to, yeah. if, I, if this really were the case, which it would never be, like this is not a debate. Well, hold on. I thought you were going to be go-along to get-along. I thought you were going to be go-along to get-along guy. Don't sell me a line. Of, don't sell me this crap. I, listen, I'm not selling it to you because I don't believe it. But there have you're been, Scott Turner. I was just saying, if Scott <laughs> okay, Turner yes, came now, to you and said that, I said if you if if he, I, just told you, I, I mean, I, I would laugh. But let me just tell you, as you were spouting off Carson Wentz's, you know, eight point seven point six points, the whole thing, their two most dynamic offensive know. games of the year uh, by far were the Jacksonville and the Detroit games. Until the Philly game, until the Philadelphia game, and it wasn't dynamic, but it was very efficient and effective. Um, and the, he also, they were also super explosive in the Tennessee game with Deami Brown catching two balls for 105 yards and two touchdowns. Trust me, I'm not buying this either. It's not what I would want. I had several people um, when I put this poll out the other day about who should start. 91% said Taylor Heineke. But several people said, I think you should consider Wentz because he gives you more dynamic ability to throw the ball down the field, and they're a better team right now than they were when he went out. I think they are a better team right now. He does. He does. I, w- I will agree with the fact that he does give you a, a better ball down the field. Uh, you're going to have about 26 plays less a game to throw it down the field with the way he's been playing, though. Yeah, okay. Let's get to Houston. Um, um, no, I, I still will wrap it with this. I don't think there's this massive gain in Heineke over wins. He's playing better right now. But I don't see that offense being overwhelmingly good because of Heineke. I don't know. The reason I think they're getting better as an offense, though, is because Heineke operates and they're getting to see things and feel things better. No doubt. And I think 
and, uh, and the team better. the team seems to be much more enthused with him out there. No doubt. Okay. Uh, Washington beats Houston if. Why don't we do it the old way? You give me one, I'll give you one until we're both done. So you give me your number one, Washington beats Houston if. Washington beats Houston if Scott Taylor rinse, repeat, and recycles essentially the same Turner, game plan Turner, with different yeah. formation. Or Scott Turner, yeah, does the essentially the same game plan, a la Joe Gibbs, different formations, different shifts, different motions, same plays, same style. That is a great formula for what they are as an offense stylistically as of right now, especially especially with Taylor Heineke. Run the ball, run the ball, find a way to get to third and short, move the chains, make conversions, let the team get comfortable, throw the ball down the field in first and ten situations with play action and stuff, attacking the middle of the field, continue to go to Terry McLaurin. And don't get greedy. Then that, that's the thing. is don't, like, don't go back right now. Like, do not go back in the office and go, I got it. Now I'm going to show America that I'm a Turner and that I know offense. Like, just go back to what your team can do. You showed it against Philly. You're going to get a defense in Tennessee that doesn't stop the run well, that you should be able to get three, four, five yards here. Really, you should be able to get more per carry and essentially run the same offense. That would be a way that they win this game. All right, let me add to it um, with some uh, really interesting numbers on Houston. Uh, I agree with you. The formula from Monday night, run the ball, run it more, um, and they should be able to run it against Houston. Listen to this last several games rushing yards against the Houston Texans. Last week when they lost to the Giants – 24 to 16. The Giants rushed for 191 yards. Barkley had 35 carries for 152 yards. And Daniel Jones only threw the ball 17 times and completed 13 passes. The week before that, on a Thursday night against the Eagles, Miles Sanders, 17 carries, 93 yards, 5.5 yards per carry. Um, The game before that, The Titans, with Malik Willis starting that first game when Tannehill was out, they rushed the ball 45 times. It's the second most rushing uh, uh, attempts on the year behind Washington's Monday night 49 rushes. They rushed it 45 times for 314 yards against the Texans. And the Texans knew that Malik Willis wasn't going to throw it. He only completed six passes. Derrick Henry had 219 yards in the game. The week before that, Josh Jacobs, 20 carries, 143 yards for the Raiders, 7.2 yards per carry. The week before that, Travis Etienne, 7.1 yards per carry. They're dead last in the league in rushing yards allowed per game. If Washington deviates from the game plan they had on Monday night to run it, they're out of their mind. Now, you know, what I would ask you is against this 4-3 defense where they, they've got some pretty good safeties, and I was watching some of the game from last week, if they come up and load the box because everybody's been running it against them, and, you know, um, look, they've, they, they, they've been used to quarterbacks that aren't dynamic here recently. Daniel Jones, Malik Willis, I mean, they did play Derek Carr, um, 
But what do you do if they start loading the box up with seven and eight? Do you just continue to bang it for two and a half to, for three point four yards per carry, and then convert third downs? We can't load the box up with eight if you're in a nickel seven. personnel. Group. Seven. Yeah, but the, the, here's the problem: they're not going to do that. And the problem with doing that is they have weapons on the outside. Washington has plenty of weapons on the outside that you just can't load the box and go single cover. Like You can't single cover Terry McLaurin all game and get away with it. Unless Heineke has really got a case of the Epps. So they can't just, they're not just going to load the box up. All right. So we both, if, if they do that, yeah. if they do that, I, I'm, I'm going to attack short to medium throws with any grouping of my receivers. If they're just going to load the box, I'm going to run seven, like, seven to eight yard out routes with McLaurin and Dotson. And I'm going to run some little inside concepts, slants and flats. And you can't just load the box against a team that has a quarterback who can deliver the ball and receivers who can get downfield. Do I really think that if they did load the box, Washington just should start throwing go balls and attacking vertically down? No, I think that they should attack short to moderate and instead of taking two to three to four yards per run, you're taking seven to 10 to 12 to 15 yards per reception. That's what I would do. They have to continue to do what they've been doing, which is be, you know, balanced, if not slightly or heavily, uh, you know, run more than pass um, ratioed. And they can do that against Houston very easily. You know, it's it, it may, you know, in coming weeks against various teams like the Giants, it may be harder to do. But they did it against Philadelphia. And by the way, the one thing I think you'll, you'll see, too, is I think they can run wider this week than they did last week. I think they can get Gibson to the edges. I think they can get Robinson. Well, you know, you don't love him as much. And I, I don't love him as much as I love Gibson either. Um, and you can use Samuel on fly sweeps, and you can use him in the backfield. I think they should be able to run the football, and if they can't, well, then Houston became a different team overnight because everybody's run the ball against them. What's number two? Washington beats Houston if what? Uh, Number two is going to be building off some of the run, and I said some of the game plan from last week, but because Houston is the type of defense they are in the 4-3 defenses, this is actually the week for everybody that's screaming bootleg and naked and all those things. In a keeper game. This is the week that you can get Heineke outside of the pocket. Right. This is the week that you can make some throws down the field. And I, and I, I said number one is not let's not go crazy with this dynamic. Game. Like we're not going to spread three guys to the. It's not oop to oop from Varsity Blues, but you got to get a couple shot plays against Houston because I think against Houston this week is and we'll get to this throughout this whole progress is you don't want to leave them alive in the middle of the third quarter. Like find a way to be up 14 points, and, and that was tough to do against Philly, and Philly had the ability to score more than Houston does. But I do think when you get a chance to take shots and you get Heineke out of the pocket, you're in good shape. I also think he makes good decisions out of the pocket. So I think this is a good game where you complement that run in the game plan with something that, the one thing they didn't do, which is that keeper game from last week. You can really run a lot of keeper stuff on a 4-3 team. It's, it's hard to play. All right, number so, two. Uh, like we do have to compliment Heineke in that fashion. Number two for me, and I don't know how much you saw as you watched Houston, Damian Pierce, their rookie running back, fourth rounder from Florida, 
but I, I swear to you, I'm not sure I've seen anybody run harder this year than this rookie. He's not going to uh-huh. be the rookie of the year because Kenneth Walker is going to be the rookie of the year, and he's the best back. And Brees Hall was excellent before tearing his ACL. They, they have to stop Damian Pierce. He's the fifth leading rusher in the NFL, and Washington's been a great run-stopping team for the last six, seven weeks. Um, he's the fifth leading rusher in the NFL. He's got excellent vision, and he is a hard physical runner. He leads the league in broken tackles. Leads the league in broken tackles. He's fifth in yards after contact. He looks to deal out blows as a runner. He's also put the ball on the ground a few times this year. I think he's got four fumbles. Only one or two of them lost. One of them was last week against the Giants um, in the red zone, uh, where they were in the red zone three times. Last week and came away, uh, had turned it over twice and came away with a field goal uh, on another um, red zone trip. But uh, but this guy is legit good. You know, the, the running backs that were taken um, in the draft um, uh, this past year, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that Brian Robinson Jr. was a bad pick yet, yet in the third round. I don't think he was. I don't, I, it's too early to say. Um, but uh, you know, you got um, you got Damian Pierce in the fourth round, who went after uh, Brian Robinson. Um, you got Tyler Algier, who went in the fifth round after Brian Robinson Jr. Um, and there's one other one that was t- picked after uh, Isaiah Pacheco, the seventh rounder, who's playing a lot mm-hmm. at Rutgers in Kansas City, was taken after. I think that they wanted to take Davis Price. In the third round, the the running back out of LSU that's in San Francisco, and, and I think he got hurt, or maybe he's just not been active. So maybe that wouldn't have been the best choice. Um, but Pierce and Walker are the two best rookie running backs um, I've seen in the league this year. Pierce is special. They have to stop him. But I think their strength, Houston's strength, which is Pierce, matches up against Washington's strength, which is stopping the run. So I feel like they can, but they have to. What's next for you? No, I mean, well, off of your deal, I completely agree with you in terms of it's great to stop Pierce. And it, but at the same time, it's almost like you can go into what the Eagles' mindset has been over the last eight weeks is, do you really think you can score more than 16.6 points per game, which is the average points for the Houston Texans per game, <laughs> yeah. running the ball with Damian Pierce, who – is averaging 4.7 yards a carry and not make a mistake on drive after drive after drive. Do you think that Damian Pierce can take 35 carries for 210 yards against this? No. So let's just make sure that you don't get it down the field and we'll give you some of the runs. But it does lead into my third point. Um, we got to be careful of, you're going to like this one. I Googled the Texans' best players. Type it in Google. The third picture that comes up is Cam Fairborn. Their kicker. Ki- their kicker. Yeah. He's the third person that comes up on is, best is, is he point. really? Well, I have <laughs> I have something God. I have something on him here in a moment, which I'm gonna share so with you. We gotta go make ahead. sure that they're not that we got we gotta make sure that we're not letting Damian Pierce get him down into like the you know, fifty five, fifty six yard field goal and Fairburn hitting like nine field goals in the game. I mean, I would just take him out of the game. He's essentially their third best player, according to Google. So I would go ahead and just who are the rough the kicker? Who are one. the top two? I mean, this is right Pier- now. Pierce and Cooks. Brandon Cooks. 
Josh McCown. <laughs> Josh McCown. <laughs> He's not on that team. I, I mean, I'm, I, I, oh, no, this is Bing. Microsoft Bing. Yeah, Bing's a liar. You know who the so. backup quarterback is to Davis Mills? Kyle Allen. I did. I did. I did know the backup course. Sorry. I was <laughs> sitting here choking and laughing. <laughs> Only because I, I had our lads up, you know, when I was watching this film. Okay. Um, one, uh, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, here, okay, the, Washington should win this game. <laughs> we can do this. But essentially, <laughs> Washington's a better ball club. The number, uh, I mean, what did I say to you when we started and we could finish? Washington is much better than Houston. <laughs> could, but somehow Houston's going to make this game. Like, okay, we're done. You know? Um, on my list. Don't. Go ahead. I wrote, score 16.7 points. Figure out a way to score 16.7 points. I swear to God, I wrote that down. Dude, I am going to send you, I want to send you a picture of my notes. But let me just say that they have... That's just weird. I want to send you a picture of what I have written in front of me. I wrote the same thing. But do you know, do you know Washington's only averaging 19.1 points per game? You know, and, and, it was, I know. and it was much less than that before they scored the 32 on Monday night, courtesy of the six at the end of the game. But really, I mean, just so everybody understands this, they have scored more than 20 points one time this year in a loss, a 34-24 to 24 loss to the Chargers. And in their last several games, here are the totals for the Houston Texans. Now, these games have been competitive. And I mentioned earlier in the week, they've been in a lot of the games that they have lost. 16 last week, 17 against Philly, 10 against Tennessee, um, 20 against the Raiders. They won against Jacksonville, scoring 13. And then the, the game before that, they scored 24 in a 34-24 to 24 loss to the Chargers. They do really struggle in the red zone, um, and they, they, they've got three turnovers in the red zone in the last two weeks. And so they're, they're, they're moving the football well enough, and their kicker is a good kicker. Um, they, they struggle to score, but so does Washington. Until Monday night, even with Taylor Heineke, they struggled to score. You know, they had 17 against Minnesota, 17 against uh, Indy, and 10 of those came in the last four, four minutes. They had 23 against Green Bay, which was great. Um, but they had 20 at halftime against Philadelphia, so you can't knock that. Uh, I've got something else here for you, though. I mentioned that they're yeah. all, uh, Houston's awful in the red zone offensively, 31st in the league. I think they're in the league, right? 31st uh, DVOA-wise. Washington's red zone defense is fourth in the league, so that's an advantage Washington. But here's something that I didn't Google, and I don't even know why I looked for this, but I keep saying that Antonio Gibson should just keep trying to return kicks. He's going to break one one of these days. And he let a couple of those kicks, you know, he had the opening kickoff, which I did not think was a hold. I forget if we talked about that the other day. I don't think that was a hold on 88. I didn't think it was a hold either. Yeah, and so that would have been a 41-yard return, and he had a 40-something-yard return uh, against Minnesota, or was it Indy? I forget now. Maybe have been Indy. Um, he is, if he qualified with enough kickoff returns, he'd be third in the league right now with a 25.3-yard uh, average per uh, kickoff return. Mm-hmm. Houston, here's my obscure stat for the week. Houston is 27th in the league 
in kickoff touchback percentage. So while Fairbairn is a good kicker, he's not kicking it into touchback territory. People are returning kickoffs, and they kick, you know, that's an indoor place down there. Gibson's going to have a chance Sunday, and I want it even, even if it's a yard or two deep in the end zone. I want him bringing the ball out. He is going to break one. He is a good kickoff returner, really good. And it's him where everybody loves him in space. 25.3 yards per return since he started to do this. If he had enough attempts, he'd be third in the league right now in kickoff returns. And I think he's going to get a chance. So like last week, I told everybody, watch out. Washington's going to get a punt blocked. Minnesota almost blocked one, and Indy tried to rush him up the middle as well. And on the first punt, they didn't block it. They roughed the punter, but they were damn close. Watch out for Gibson. He's going to break one one of these weeks, and it's going to be a massive play. Remember, DeAndre Carter last year returned to kickoff in the Atlanta game for a touchdown to start the second half. That was the difference in that game, as it turned out, when they won the game 34-30. to Gibson is going to make a difference in one of these games as a kickoff returner. It might be Sunday. Uh, do you have anything well, else? Would be good for him. Well, you said something, and I, I was I was going to save this for one of the days that we didn't have anything. But I, I'll, I'm actually going to save the thing I have for next time. Oh well, that's a hell of a tease. You're going to keep everybody waiting. No, that, that's okay. No, no, I, no can't, you... I can't do it. I, I can't do it. No, so I, I had this. I have a lot of crazy thoughts about football stuff, and obviously, I know which ones are crazy. Just so we understand it, I know I'm crazy. Again. You know, it'd be a lot of fun because I, I, I've been watching a lot more this year, and even through my career, it's like all the special teams penalties is just—it makes football hard to watch. And there's—it's so easy to call a, a hold, a clip, uh, any kind of outside of a whatever penalty because. Like on the kickoff return, we're going to run 40 yards before anyone touches us. Hard it is to not hold or make contact with someone at a full sprint from 30 <laughs> yards away. Right, right, yeah. It's fucking impossible. Yeah. Um, so I had this thought. It would be so much fun as if they just let every roster have 13 players that are special teams players and then maybe two or three scouty special teams guys that were outside of the roster. I actually think NFL's roster should be bigger anyway. I think it's ridiculous that they can't just pay a bigger practice squad. But, but it was just a special teams free-for-all. You can't <laughs> so call no, penalties, pe- no penalties. penalties. No penalties on special teams. Put return. that flag in your pocket. It'd be like Necessary Roughness or whatever that movie was. The guy runs down and <laughs> yeah. jump kicks the wedge. Two feet in the chest. I mean, it would really, like an MMA, WWF-style free special teams game. And you got your own group of team. Like they're not your players. You cannot put us if you're on the active offense or defensive roster. You cannot be on the field for special teams. It is an individual group of assassins just out there, just killing people. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of what like the XFL kind of wanted to do. A lot of that stuff, you know, they weren't they were legislating back into the game the big hits. But yeah, um, you know that would never happen. But there, there's no roughing the punters. Like you better get that fucking ball off, or you're going to get drilled. Yeah, like they're coming after you, buddy. You better kick it fast. Uh, no, my my whole thought on this before I get to my final score 
is that Washington statistically and in, in matchup wise with Houston is is a better team in every single facet. This is a good matchup for Washington. It fits their style of play. It fits their defense, in my opinion. They should get after Davis Mills. I, all of this seems good. Uh, they, Kev, and somehow it's going to happen. They're going to shoot themselves in the foot. I, I hope not for them. But don't make it a game. They are better, aren't they? Washington's better. Yeah, they are. After Monday night, I would not have and, said that uh, before Monday night. I felt that way about their defense. I, I, the Minnesota game, and I forget if I told you this, I'm like, God, they are good on defense. They're physical. They're, they, they're disciplined. They tackle well, which is what all of Rivera's teams were in Carolina. A lot of them were that way. If they can just you know, generate a little bit of offense, score 21 points, 24 points, they're going to have a chance to win a lot of these games. And I didn't think it would come Monday no. night. But it, it, the way they played Monday night – I mean, Houston's just – I mean, look, Philly was 21-17 with Houston going into the fourth quarter. Houston's been in every single one of these games. You know who Rivera really th- loves and respects is Lovey Smith. He was his defensive coordinator in Chicago. I, I think Lovey Smith's awesome. I, 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 yeah, I, I got a lot of respect for Lovey Smith. I think everybody does. I think he really knows what he's doing. He just somehow mm-hmm. never ends up on a team with a quarterback. It's like Todd Bowles until now. I, I, that's why I'm kind of rooting for Tampa to get it together because I want Bowles to succeed. He's never been a head coach with a quarterback until this year. Well, you better go pick a good team. All right. Uh, what's your prediction? Well, maybe you should have worked for Snyder. I mean, gosh, dang. What's your prediction? Uh, we have said this average – uh, we both wrote these numbers down. My prediction is nineteen to sixteen, Washington. Washington, which by the way is a push, so that way you don't have to pick what you your gut tells you and my gut tells me, which is Houston somehow covers the number nineteen. I, just don't, I mean, nineteen sixteen. I think push is the best Houston can do, but we'll see. Uh, What's as, yours? Well, as much as I, you know, am kind of beholden to thinking that Washington is one of the most public bet teams and I'm going to have Houston in the smell test when I get to it here in the final segment of the show today Um, I just think Washington's actually a decent team right now and Houston isn't so I'm going to go with a Houston cover but a Washington win Uh, the final score being 20 to 19. Washington wins on a Joey Sly 58-yard field goal tying his personal best from Monday night. I don't know how it ends, but it's going to be Washington but not by more than three. It's going to be a tight hope game. A, hope for them it's not a Ty Fairburn field goal to walk off after we hiked him up as much as we just did. Yeah, but he doesn't kick touchbacks. We know that. Okay, uh, good job. Uh, I will talk to you uh, next week with the film breakdown of the Houston game. See you, Kev. See you, Cooley. All right, I'll finish up with the smell test when we come back, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. 
If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as J.J. does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kevin looks where the John Q. Public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's, it's time, time for the, the smell, smell test. test. All right, the smell test is brought to you by my bookie. Go to mybookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC. They'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. They're giving away free money. Take it. Use my bookie as your primary source for gambling or use it as your secondary source for gambling so you can compare point spreads and totals and money lines and pricing makes a lot more sense if you're trying to do this uh, the right way in terms of the current numbers uh, for Sunday on my bookie by the way the Buffalo Cleveland game after getting moved to Detroit uh, as Buffalo is scheduled to get three to six feet of snow over the weekend. And now Buffalo will play in Detroit. By the way, if the Bills didn't play Thanksgiving Day against the Lions, I think they just would have kept the game in Buffalo and moved it to Monday or Tuesday a night. But because they were scheduled to play on Thanksgiving, they had to move the venue. There was no way they could get these teams uh, to the stadium and get Cleveland into town. Um, which is why they had to move it. But the total, if you guys were following this, started the week at like 47, 47 and a half, dropped to like 40, 40, 39 and a half in some spots. And now that it's back uh, indoors in Detroit, it's at 49 and a half. Um, I don't know actually the answer to whether or not the total bets that were made 
when the game was scheduled in Buffalo or the point spread bet for all that matter, if those are voided or not. I I think they are. I can't remember the last time I was involved in something like that, and I did not place a wager on the Cleveland uh, Buffalo game when it was scheduled in Buffalo. Uh, the Washington game right now on my bookie, minus three. The total is at 41. All right, the smell test. Um, MyBookie.ag. Kevin DC is the promo code you need. So there are two games this weekend that are really stunning point spreads from my standpoint. Uh, the smell test, by the way, is now on a run uh, going back to the weekend of September 23rd um, when I went 9-4. and four. Um, I've basically run off at this point now in the last eight weeks, six winning weeks, one 500 week, and one losing week. Uh, the one losing week was a big one. I was 3-10. and 10. In the winning weeks, I had a nine and four week. I had, you know, an eight and five week. Um, I know they, they, you know some of them have been six and five, seven and five, five and four, five and four. Understood, but you're at least, you know, with the vig, at least breaking even on those weekends. But there are two point spreads this weekend that make no sense. One of them's in college, and this is the first smell test pick. How is Army favored by nine and a half points over UConn? UConn is a bowl-eligible team right now. They've won several games in a row, including last week, shocking Liberty. Yeah, Liberty was a one-loss team. As a 13-and-a-half-point dog, they won the game outright 36-33. to Meantime, Army's last two losses, they scored 9 points and 10 points. A team that couldn't barely score in double digits is nearly a double-digit favorite over a team that's red hot and just pulled off a win, outright win, as a double-digit underdog against a very good team. I thought, really, it was a misprint when I first saw it. It's not. Army's a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. I guess UConn can't play service academy triple option teams. I don't know. But lay the nine-and-a-half. It'll be one of the largest wagers I've made in a while. I'll have Army laying nine-and-a-half. Uh, Last week, you know, I mentioned very emphatically that TCU was a seven-point dog as the number four team in the playoff rankings at Texas. And I said, you know, neighbor Nick would peer over the fence and say, that has to be wrong, right? Well, no, it wasn't. And I took Texas, laid the seven. Neighbor Nick won. And sometimes neighbor, you know, guys like neighbor Nick win these bets. They don't lose them all or they'd figure it out. Uh, but this week, TCU once again is on what would appear to be the weird side of a point spread where they are a two-and-a-half-point favorite at Baylor. Baylor lost last week to K-State 31-3. to TCU won the game. They're undefeated. They're going for the playoff spot. They're laying just two-and-a-half. I'll take Baylor by the half point, Baylor plus three. Oklahoma's not very good. Oklahoma State's not that good either. Um, but they're still ranked, and they won last week. The Sooners in the Bedlam game are laying seven. It's a lot of points. I'll take Oklahoma and lay the points. The public's on Oklahoma State. And then LSU, you know, I had Arkansas last week plus the three and a half. They lost by three. They covered. It was kind of a trap game for LSU. Um, they're playing UAB this week. It's 14 and a half. It's not enough. Public's all over LSU. I'll take UAB 
plus the 14 and a half. To Sunday we go. Um, there are five Sunday games, and I like the Monday night game as well. Uh, let me just start with Washington. Uh, I'm taking the Texans plus the three. It fits the formula. The public's lined up on Washington as much as they're lined up on anybody this weekend. Recent impressions Monday night over the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles on the road, looking good doing it. Houston's got the worst record, and they're laying only three. Um, I know I picked Washington to win the game, but not by three. I'm taking the Texans plus the three in the smell test. I'm taking the Lions plus the three against the Giants. The Lions can score, man. And the Giants should be favored by more here, the public believes. This is one of the biggest public bet teams, too. Odd. Um, because the Giants really haven't been overly impressive. They just keep winning. I'm going to take the Lions this week. I actually think Detroit's got a a chance to win this game outright. Uh, The Falcons are actually an anti-public favorite, laying three against the the all-of-a-sudden popular Chicago Bears. I'll take Atlanta minus the three. And then in the other game that makes no sense, the Cowboys are one-and-a-half-point favorites on the road against 8-1 and one Minnesota after their win at Buffalo last week. ESPN Stats and Information put this out. This is the first time since 1976, 46 years, since an 8-1 and one team has been at home and been an underdog. As long as the starting quarterback was healthy and playing. 46 years since an 8-1 and one team has been an underdog at home. I don't know why Dallas is favored, but the odds makers believe that it makes sense. Look, from an analysis standpoint, Dallas is desperate after losing to Green Bay. Minnesota's you know, kind of high off of that incredible win over Buffalo. Uh, Minnesota's got a short week, too. Both teams play on Thanksgiving Day. Dallas against the Giants, Minnesota at night against New England. Minnesota's a little bit banged up coming out of that game on Sunday as well. Uh, Dallas blew a 14-point lead. Um, Dallas's defense is nasty, um, but they can be run on. Uh, Minnesota's defense is worse than Green Bay's defense. I don't know. Minnesota should be the favorite team. I'll take the Cowboys and lay the point and a half. The Steelers are a short dog at home against Cincinnati, plus three and a half. Uh, the public likes uh, the Bengals. I'll take I'll take Pittsburgh plus the three and a half, and then the 49ers are laying a big number on Monday night against the Cardinals. Eight and a half is the number. Um, I'll take the the Niners. I think they're really good. I'll take the Niners and lay the eight and eight and a half. So recapping: Army minus nine and a half, Baylor plus three, Oklahoma minus seven, UAB plus fourteen and a half on Saturday, the Texans plus three, the Falcons plus three. Uh, The Falcons minus three, the Lions plus three, the Cowboys minus one and a half, the Steelers plus three and a half, and the Cardinals on Monday night laying a big number, eight and a half on the road. There's the smell test. Good luck for entertainment purposes only, of course. Yeah, right. Uh, Use my bookie if you need a spot uh, to make these wagers. By the way, the World Cup starts this weekend. I'm actually interested in it, and I will probably bet some of the games. We'll talk about that next week. Enjoy the weekend. I'll be back on Monday. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. 
Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.